situation, no matter how big, no matter how small, I want to invite you to just put your trust in him today. Wherever you're at, would you just put your trust and just say it verbally, just whisper it, Lord, we put our trust in you today. We give you our hallelujah, no matter how broken it is, no matter how joyous it is, Lord, we give you our hallelujah, we give you our praise, we sacrifice whatever we have to sacrifice, Lord, we say it's yours. king of all the earth. Can we just sing that bridge one more time? Praise to the Lord. Praise to the Lamb.
praise from your heart. I sing praises to your name. Oh, Lord, praises to your name. Oh, Lord, for your name is great. Part of what's happening when we worship is that we're coming into a space with all of the nuances of our lives and we begin to sing. And part of why we sing is not because God is deserving of it. That's totally true. Not because we need to make sure he hears us, not so that he's not insecure about if we sing to him or not. Part of the reason that we end up worshiping is to remind our own souls of what is good and what is true about the God that we worship. And we do that not just when we sing, but we also do that just when we declare what is true about the world that we have found ourselves in. So New Life East, I wanna invite you to declare your faith with me this morning as we declare the creed together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. 
On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And all God's people said, amen. Friends, we do that as a part of our worship. It acclimates us to the story that God has been telling for thousands of years. And one of the other ways that we continue to worship as the church is that we give. We give not just of our resources, we give of our time, we give of our energy. And one of the ways that we do that every year here at New Life East is through something called Adopt a Family. Those of you who have been around here for a while, you know how this works, is that as we get closer to the holiday season, is there are families who are a part of this church, but are a part of our community at large that are going without the church's generosity. We would have no tangible way to celebrate what the holidays are all about. And so what we do is we adopt families. Those families are brought to us, we pick them out. We, we then go out as a church and we display our generosity. And we're not ready for you to adopt families yet, but last year you guys went above and beyond what we even thought was possible at New Life East. And so this year we're starting a little bit early collecting the names of families and people in our community or even here at New Life East that are in need of people to come alongside them and say, hey, we would love to help support you through our generosity. So coming up this week in the New Life East weekly email, watch for it, there will be a link. So if you yourself are going, man, I need, the, I need my brothers and sisters around me to help make sure that myself and my kids have a meaningful holiday, fill out the link that you'll see in that. If you know someone yourself that's a part of our greater community here in Colorado Springs, share that link with them. Say, hey, my church would love to come alongside you and be a part of that with you. This is the way that we show our generosity here in the city. We're in the city for the sake of the city, and this is one of the ways that we show it. If you want to continue to partner with us in generosity today, there are four ways that you can do that. You know how it works. We want to say thank you because your giving is changing lives, not just here in our church, but all around the city. If we haven't had a chance to meet before, my name is Rory. I'm one of the pastors here. We're so glad that you've joined us. If you're a guest, we're especially glad that you're here. You'll notice that in your row, there are some guest cards. You can grab that guest card, fill it out, bring it with you to Connect Central just outside of these gymnasium doors. Some of our volunteers will be there. They'd love to give you a gift. You can also just scan that QR code that's up there to let us know that you're new with us as well. Now we're gonna open up the scriptures here in just a moment, but before we do that, why don't you take a second to turn and say good morning to someone around you.
Okay, good morning. The Lord be with you. So good to see you this morning. Good to be in the house of God uh, together. If you were, a couple things I need to tell you about. Actually, one big thing before we jump into the scriptures together this morning. Uh, if you were here in the service last week, you heard me talk about uh, a special offering that we're going to be taking up at the end of this year. So I know a lot of you, you really kind of plan ahead with your year-end giving. And uh, you might have heard me mention last week that earlier this year, there was a building opportunity for New Life East that came available to us. And we went over here on the east side of the city, beautiful location. And we went and checked it out and felt really good about it. But ultimately, we weren't able to move on it uh, because we weren't in a financial position to be able to pull it off. And so that really created kind of a moment between me and the Lord where I went, God Almighty, I never want to be in that position again as a church where you provide an opportunity for us and we can't do anything about it. And so I spent some time talking to our senior pastor at New Life Church, uh, Pastor Brady, said, what can we do to kind of really set ourselves up? And he said, well, if you guys jump into a capital campaign and you can raise about a million dollars together as a church and just sort of set that aside, cash on hand, that should put you in a good position if anything comes available uh, down the road. So I talked last week about this, that we're opening up this fund starting later this year, and we'll take several special offerings over the next couple years and hopefully get to that million dollars as soon as possible. Maybe we get it done just in a year or so, which would be amazing. And what you can do, yes, I'm enthusiastic about that too. What you can do then is you can mark Sunday, December the 3rd in your calendars. That's the first Sunday of Advent. And that's going to be the Sunday where we take up this first of the special offerings. That's a strategic and intentional Sunday as well, because that'll be the same Sunday that New Life North is taking up what they hope to be the last of their legacy special offerings to pay off the debt on the North building. So is there, uh, as New Life as a whole is sort of freeing itself, some, from, freeing itself some, from some old financial burdens, New Life East is starting to position itself with strength for the future. So, and you also might have heard me mention last week to, you know, what the Lord has laid on our hearts is that our whole church together would participate in that 100% participation. And some of you have incredible financial resources. Some of you could write a check that would actually be a huge chunk that would put us way ahead on some of our goals. And if that's you, search your heart, let the Spirit, um, let the Spirit do what the Spirit needs to do in you and write that check. Some of you, however, are not in a season of financial strength and you kind of have your back against the wall. And just remember how often the scripture talks about that when we give the little bit that we have to the Lord, that somehow that releases blessing to us. And so it might be that all you can give is $5 or $20 or $10 or $5. Man, just take that, like that little bit that you have. And I promise you, it'll make a world of difference. Some of you are sitting among us and you're like, I'm not really even sure if New Life East is my home. So I'm not sure if I'm included in that 100%, but that's okay too. And maybe actually this is your opportunity to go, actually, I do feel like this is my place and this is how I'm going to express it. So that's Sunday, December 3rd. Mark that in your calendar. Pray about that. But then also, I'm just going to challenge you as a congregation, if you feel like New Life East is your home, don't just pray for yourself, God, what would you have me give? But pray over our whole congregation that the Spirit would move strongly upon us to give generously to that. Sound good? I'm in the book of 1 Kings chapter 18. We're a couple weeks away from bringing our series on Kings uh, in for a landing, as you remember last week. Uh, we've been watching at this point in the history of Israel. Uh, Israel is really spinning out of control, giving itself over to idol worship. And there is this huge battle in the heart of Israel for like, what is Israel going to be? Is Israel going to be just like the pagan nations that worship all of these deities that are dehumanizing deities? Or is Israel going to be the community of the one true God, Yahweh? 
and uh, it really looks like the trend is going in the direction of idolatry until 1 Kings 17, when Elijah, the great prophet, shows up on the scene, and in every word and every deed of Elijah's, what he's doing is really demonstrating who the true God is, and in so many ways, these next several chapters dealing with Elijah here in 1 Kings are really a kind of showdown between the gods and the God of heaven. And Elijah over and over again gives us demonstrations on why Yahweh is the true God. First Kings chapter 18, I'm going to start in verse 16. I hear the word of the Lord. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And when Ahab, Ahab is the wicked king that's leading Israel astray, by the way. And when Ahab saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? Which, by the way... <laughs> just a word to the wise, you know. Sometimes the most wicked people and the most manipulative people and the most evil people, their prime tactic when they start to get cornered is to shift the blame onto you. So you just store that in your back pocket and use that as a discernment criteria in your relationships. Sound good? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. But you and your fam- father's family have. You've abandoned the Lord's commands. And you followed the Baal. So now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. And you bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So this really is going to be a showdown. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and he assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. And Elijah went before the people and he said, how long are you going to waver between these two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to him, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. So why don't you get two bulls for us and let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put, the, uh, put it on the wood and not set fire to it. And I'll prepare the other bull and I'll put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. And then you're going to call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of my God, the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, well, that's the one who is God. And all the people said, what you say is good. And so Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, uh, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you, and call on the name of your God, but don't light the fire. And so they took the bull given to them, and they prepared it. And then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. And at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said, surely he's a god. Uh, perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened and... So they shouted louder, and they slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. And midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response, and no one answered, no one paid attention. And then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me, and they came to him, and whew, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. He's restoring worship in the heart of Israel is what he's doing. And Elijah took the 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. He's putting worship back together. Maybe I'll just say this, that I wasn't planning on saying this, but I'll just say this to you, that maybe when you're in a crisis, maybe the first and the most important thing you can do is put the worship back together in your life. Maybe what you can do is repair the altar. Maybe what you can do is you can find 12 symbolic stones and get yourself back in the story. 
Get yourself back in the worship of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Get yourself back into a mode of mind and spirit where you remember the, pro- uh, the promises of God and graft yourself into them again. Maybe when you're in a crisis, the most important thing that you can do is restore the worship. And so he took the 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seas of wood. And he arranged the wood and cut the bowl into pieces. And he laid it on the wood. And he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said. And they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered. And they did it the third time. And the water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. And at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and he prayed this, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Let it be known today that you are, the, you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all of these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord... He is God. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said. And so we lift our hearts up to you, O Lord, our God. Would you tell us the truth? Would you burn away the lies? All of the lies that have accumulated around our hearts, all of the lies that are strangling faith, hope, and love in us? Would you come and speak the truth to us? Jesus, you have said that that we would know the truth and the truth would make us free. So I pray that today the truth of the scriptures, the truth of your word would make us free. I pray that we would be able to say with the psalmist, we run in the path of your commands for you have set our hearts free. Granite, we pray. We ask that the word would be a liberating, healing force in our midst this morning. We say, may the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. That God answers prayer is basic to biblical faith. Did you know that? It's not like a tangential thing, like faith is mostly about X, Y, and Z, and then every once in a while God answers prayer and prayer is a piece of it. That God answers prayer at all is basic to biblical faith. You might remember early on in the book of Genesis, humankind is starting to move away from the Lord and all of a sudden it says in Genesis chapter 4 that at that time human beings began to call upon the name of the Lord. And that moment where they begin to call upon the name of the Lord really inaugurates salvation history, and it builds to a great crescendo when we get to the book of Exodus. And you'll remember that the people of God were languishing away in slavery and Egypt. And the scripture says that the cry, their groaning, went up into the heavens and it went into God's ear. And the scripture says that God was moved with compassion. And he remembered the promises that he had made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all their righteous offspring. And somehow, some way, that moved God. It put the will of God, the action of God into motion. The psalmist said, I called and you answered. 
me. That God answers prayer is basic to biblical faith. It's basic to the identity, the self-understanding of the people of God. One of my favorite theologians of the last century, Robert Jensen, said that if you went to Israel and you said to Israel, hey guys, tell us a little bit about your God. Who is your God? He said Israel wouldn't have answered with abstract metaphysical things. They wouldn't have said, oh, you know, well, he's the absolute, immutable, impassable deity who lives in a cloud that nobody has seen or can see. They, they would not have answered with abstract theological or metaphysical categories. If you had asked Israel, uh, who is your God? What's the one that you worshiped? You know what Israel would have said? They would have said, whoever got us up out of Egypt. Like, that's all we know. All we know is that we were screaming and crying at the top of our lungs and somebody came. Somebody came and got us out of a jam. And, and Jensen says that if you had gone on to Israel and asked them the next question, what's your relationship with this God? Israel would have said, we are, we are permitted to call on him by name. That's the one. The one who answers our prayers. And so here is Elijah at a time in Israel's history when everybody is worshiping all of the other gods. And Elijah is kind of going through his like, okay, now how do I get to the core issue here? And he sets up the most basic test that could be set up. You set up your little sacrifice over here with the bull on it, and I'm going to set up my little sacrifice over here with the bull on it, and you're going to call all of you, because surely there's a lot of faith in the room, you know, all, all y'all prophets, and you guys are going to call on the name of your gods, and you're going to do that, and then I'm going to call just me, just one lone prophet. I'm going to call on the name of my God, and the one who answers by fire, that's the one who is God. It's the simplest and most obvious litmus test that Elijah can set up. Which God is able and willing to do anything about our requests, our prayers. And at the end of this story, Baal is shown up to be impotent and weak and nothing at all. And Yahweh proves himself once again to be the true God. And he does it like this, that Yahweh, this is what this story I think teaches us, or one of many things, that Yahweh is the true God in that he, say it loud church, Yahweh is the true God in that he answers prayer. Don't you love about our God that he is responsive to human need? That he's not a dead, inert deity up in the sky? Nor is he sort of some kind of nameless fate that just kind of winds up the clock and he lets things go? But from cover to cover, page after page after page in the scriptures, the way that Yahweh reveals himself in the scriptures is that he is the one who is responsive to human need. When we call, it moves something in his heart. Think about what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, Jesus says this, ask, and it what? Not, might be? Could be? Maybe? Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door. But for, for everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And which of you, if your son asked for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, would give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who, who ask him? Ask and it. Seek and you. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be 
open. And those words are given to us by the Son of God in human flesh. I believe that those words are trustworthy. Prayer is such a huge challenge for all of us. I've been praying for most of my life, and it's a mystery. And every single day I am thinking in one way or another about the mystery of prayer and how it all works. I remember starting to pray when I was probably six, seven, or eight years old. as just a little guy. And I had my, uh, in the morning, I would wake up, and uh, this is maybe a little bit too much information for you, but I'm telling you anyway. My mom, in order to like, kind of like instigate a prayer life for me, she was like, I'm going to put a Bible in the one place that I know he's going to be every single day. She put it on the back of the toilet. That's what she did. <laughs> and so in, the, so in the morning, I'd grab that thing, you know, I'd start reading some stuff, psalm or gospel or whatever. And then I had this like little prayer list, you know, of like people and things and situations that I would pray for. And I would offer these prayers up to God. And then I would, again, I'm just going to stop with the TMI, but I would finish up and move on. And that was my prayer life. The devotional life was born in the bathroom, 1007 Ether Road, Marshfield, Wisconsin. Those, those words are true words. And I, but it's funny because I remember like when I was a little guy, I was always trying to figure out like, how does prayer actually work? You know, I wanted to like get into the, the mechanics of it. And so I would offer these prayers up to the Lord. And, you know, if it took, like, God two weeks to answer one of my prayers, I do remember concluding, I was like, well, that's cool. God answers prayer in two-week prayer cycles. So if you need something done by the Lord, just make sure that you give him enough, you know, apparently he's got to kind of, like, warm things up, you know, over on the divine side before he really starts answering. I think a lot of us tend to think about prayer that way. We're always trying to figure out the mechanics of it. And the truth is that you can't ever figure out the mechanics because it's just a mystery. It's the interpersonal relationship with God, God who is managing all things. But we know that God answers prayer. He's faithful. And I've seen the faithfulness of God. I remember uh, coming to the end of uh, my time in college. I was a business student at Oral Roberts University. And I knew that the Lord was calling me into ministry. And Mandy and I had picked out a seminary that uh, I was going to attend. And uh, as part of this seminary, uh, they had a scholarship available that was like a full tuition scholarship. And they only gave out like a small handful of them every year and you had to meet these certain requirements but even if you met the requirements you still had to write all these essays and it was kind of a it wasn't like a lottery thing but they really went through this rigorous process of like selecting the best candidates and all that stuff for it and I remember going oh my gosh like that would be amazing to get that I'm coming out of undergraduate with a reasonable pile of debt and I'm getting ready to go into seminary seminary is not inexpensive And if I'm going into ministry to be saddled with like huge amounts of debt, that just doesn't sound good. And I remember kind of having this wrestle in my heart over that. I was like, Lord, I've filled out this scholarship application. I want to go to seminary. But God, you know, like, I don't know, like, what if I get turned down for the scholarship? Is it financially even wise, you know, for me to take on this debt and then go into ministry? And I remember kind of saying to God, I was like, well, maybe if I don't get it, I just won't do it and I'll find some other way. And I remember, I can actually tell you the place on the road in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I was driving into my, I worked at this restaurant. I was driving into my shift one day and kind of just sort of having this little negotiation with the Lord where I sort of set up some criteria, you know, like if you don't do this, then I'm gonna, da, 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 da. and I remember getting confronted by the Lord so strongly, Andrew Arndt. And it is a funny thing that when I hear the voice of the Lord that strongly, it almost always sounds like my mom, <laughs> which there's some kind of lesson in there somewhere. And I'll just let you figure out that lesson. But it's like, Andrew Arndt, so I got my attention. And I heard the voice of the Lord say to me, if I provide for you on the front end or the back end of this, what does it matter to you? I'm your provider. Why don't you just go forward and trust me? Such a liberation to realize that, oh yeah, duh, stupid, slow to learn. 
I'm in the hands of God. I'm going to be okay. And still, God, <laughs> the scholarship would be great. And we kind of held that before the Lord for several weeks. And I remember being in our little apartment, 73rd and Lewis, and getting a phone call. Pick up the, this was back, way back before cell phones, you know, the actual phone rang and you didn't know who it was. And so I picked up the phone and I said, hello, this is Andrew. And the voice on the other end said, Andrew, this is Matt uh, from Trinity. Uh, you and I spoke when you guys visited us several months back. Do you remember me? I said, I sure do. Matt said, well, hey, I'm calling you for two reasons. Number one, to congratulate you. Uh, your application for seminary has been accepted, so congratulations. And I said, wow, that's amazing. Thanks. And he said, and one more thing. Do you remember the, that scholarship that you applied for? Yes. <laughs> Congratulations, my friend. I just want to let you know that you got it. Yes. Yes. And I, to this day, I remember how elated we were. Mandy was sitting on the couch over here. I go, babe, we got the scholarship. Ah! I mean, it was just freaking out. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open. Yeah. I don't know if that would have happened if I hadn't asked. I can't prove that. I don't have any, but, I, but all I know is that I did ask for that thing and I got it and it made a difference. For me, it like built my faith. It built my confidence in God. And that was such a huge thing for us financially. But it's not just the big things in life. It's also the very small things in life. I had a situation come up several weeks ago where I was getting ready to head into a meeting that was like this. It, I just knew there was going to be tension in this meeting. And I knew there were going to be difficult things that were going to have to be shared one way or another. I've, all of us have those meetings all the time. It was one of those meetings. And I remember, I don't know if you do this, but if you're like me, then one of the things that you do when you're getting ready to he head into a tense meeting is you do a lot of planning, contingency planning in your head. You know, if he says this, I'll say this. If he says this, I'll say this. If this goes this way, this is what I'm going to do. And you start kind of creating this really sort of, well, what it really is is like this perverse decision tree is what it is, where you start playing God, acting like you can just control everything. And it's good to do a little bit of planning, but dear God, sometimes we just run away with ourselves. And I, I remember being in prayer about that, and I said, actually, Lord, I felt myself doing that thing, or like all the contingency planning. And finally, I just said to the Lord, I was like, God, actually, I don't want to do that at all. You know what would be the most amazing thing in the world? The most amazing thing in the world would be me walking in this meeting with presence, with just a sense of peace. That's all I want. And I want to walk into that room with so much peace that when this person that I'm meeting with feels that, that somehow it'll create peace with them and we won't be afraid of each other in the room or afraid of the outcome of this meeting and that we'll be able to see each other and hear each other clearly and communicate clearly with one another as you intend because I think that is the will of God for us who are brothers in Christ Jesus, would you please do that? That's all I'm asking. I'm not asking for any outcome of this meeting. I'm just asking for a sense of your peace. And doggone it, I walked into that meeting that afternoon, and the moment I walked in, whew, think about the most profound time you've ever had in worship where the presence of God fell upon you and you sensed the peace of the Lord. It was what I felt when I walked into that meeting. Was that a $50,000 scholarship? No. But it mattered in that moment because there were stakes in that meeting. There were important things that were going to be said and were going to be done. And to have that meeting get torpedoed by us being all anxious with one another, I don't want any of that. So what did I do? I asked, and it was given to me. I sought, right? And I found it. I knocked. 
and the door was, was open. It's not just the big stuff, guys. It's the little stuff. It's all the stuff. We're supposed to present all of our requests unto the Lord. That's what Paul says in Philippians. He's like, don't be anxious about anything. Do you remember that? But in everything, Paul says, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, you just present your request to God. And what's going to happen to you? Yes. Just keep saying it to us, Jamie. The peace of God that transcends all understanding. Well, what? Guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. All the stuff. You give it unto the Lord. We give all the stuff unto the Lord. And by the way, it's on that note about the little thing. And that might be actually the key to unlocking this whole passage. Like I think about what James says in James chapter 5. He's talking about Elijah here. And he's referring back to a lot of what's happening here in 1 Kings chapter 17, 18, 19. But he says that Elijah was a human being just like we are. And he prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain. And it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years. And then... He prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. Uh, he was a person just like us. Don't you love that? Elijah was one of the greatest prophets that Israel ever saw. But James says, this is, this is a human being just like us. And we look at what happened in 1 Kings 18 and we go, oh my gosh, I don't think I could ever pray like that. I don't know if I could ever have faith to believe like that. The fire would come down from heaven and consume these sacrifices. But you know what the truth is? That wasn't the first time Elijah prayed to the Lord. We don't know how old Elijah was at this point, but Elijah, we can be sure, was practiced in prayer. And he knew how to ask God. He had been asking God for daily bread. He had been asking God for rain. He had been asking God for peace and tense meetings. He'd been asking God for all kinds of little stuff over a long period of time so that when he came to that moment when the stakes were really high and he had a big ask to make of the Lord, it wasn't anything to him. And he was a person just like we are do you know that we can practice ourselves into prayer? I'll say this to you this morning, that we can build confidence in prayer. And this isn't necessarily in the text here, but I'm just kind of giving you a little excursus here. But we can build confidence in prayer by praying about not just big stuff and not just some things, but by praying about even and especially, I would say, the so-called normal stuff, stuff that doesn't even seem all that spiritual, stuff that's just important to us. And if it's important to us, it turns out that it's actually important to God too. I have a good friend who's actually with us this morning who she had this trip that she was wanting to go on. It was a trip that was really meaningful to her. She was looking forward to it, circled, on the, circled it on the calendar. I can't wait to do this thing. And then all of a sudden some financial stuff kind of came up in the family and that stuff happens to us. And all of a sudden the trip is kind of off the board and it was such a heartache to her. Oh God, I had done my best to like plan for this thing and this was gonna be a thing that I know would nourish my soul. And now this stuff has happened and, I don't, and we're not at fault for any of this, but it happened. And now I can't go on the trip. And God, would you please, it's in your hands. Help. It's not spiritual. It's not, she's not praying for an end to the war in Israel or anything like that. She's just praying about something that matters to her. And within a couple of weeks, she got a phone call from some close friends and say, hey, we heard about the situation. We just want to write you a check and pay for the whole dang thing. You go on that trip. <laughs> Don't you love that? It's the big stuff and the little stuff and all the stuff. God cares about all of it. When I pray, I pray all the time. I pray every day. I'm praying. Paul says, pray without season. I'm always praying. And I pray for all kinds of big things. I certainly pray for the end of the war in Israel. And I pray for the end of the war in Ukraine. And I pray that, I pray that our economy nationally would bounce back. I pray that we had godly leaders and all that stuff. And I also pray stuff that seems like little stuff. I pray, God, would you put a sense of peace in our home today? God, would you teach us Christ Jesus today? God, would you fill us with the Holy Spirit, every single one of us today. I pray over my children. 
I pray the prayer of Augustine, actually, over my children. I say, God, would you salt the lips of my children that they might thirst for you and only you? Pray those prayers. And then I also know that I have things coming up in the day, some things that are scary, some things that are hard, and I go, God, I could really use your provision for this thing, and I could really use a sense of your presence in this thing, and God, would you please help? And I, I just ask for all the things. And you know what I do at the end of the day? I go back and I review all of the places in which I saw God come through in prayer. And do you know what happens in my spirit? I am nourished and strengthened in my relationship with God. It reminds me again that I live in a world that's enchanted. A world that's shot through with the providence of God. A world that's shot through with the mercy of God. St. Benedict of Nursa once said, Above all, never lose hope in God's mercy. And when we pray, what we're doing is we're tucking ourselves into God's mercy. You might be sitting here this morning saying, but Andrew, what about all of those occasions that we experience in our lives where God doesn't really come through in prayer, where he doesn't answer prayer? I'm going to say this to you this morning, challenge you theologically, and then give you a little tool that you can put in your tool belt. I believe that God never doesn't answer prayer. Another way to say that is God always answers prayer. You go, no, he doesn't. I've prayed for all this stuff in my life and I haven't seen this stuff come to pass and I've got irrefutable evidence, you know, to overturn your claim here, you know. And I, I, no, God always answers prayer. Let me give you the four ways that God answers prayer in our lives. I'm going to hit these real quick, but I want you to remember them because they're very useful. Number one, you know what God's first answer to prayer is? And you know what I think? I think this is God's favorite answer to prayer. I think mostly what God wants to do is just say yes. And I don't think that God is discriminating all that much about this stuff. You know, I, like I remember when my kids were little, you know, and they'd come and they'd go, hey, dad, can I have a bowl of cereal? You know, my first answer to that obviously is yes. My second answer to that, though, is like, I'm not nitpicking with them exactly what kind of cereal that I want them to eat. <laughs> Dictating, you know, my next one would be like, what kind of cereal do you want? I want that kind. Great. Here you go. You know, although some cereals have lots of sugar. So we do try to shape decisions. And I think God is that way, actually, that he tries to shape the decisions. But for the most part, I think that we ask things and God's like, that's something that you want. Think about how often in the Gospels, Jesus will come up to somebody and he will say, hey, what is it that you want? God, I want to be healed. Jesus, I want to be healed. Oh, nope, that's not the thing. Guess again. What do you want? Uh, he doesn't do that. He just responds directly to requests. What do you want? I want to see, I want my sight again. Be healed according to your faith. May it be done to you. God's favorite response to prayer is yes. Mostly I think it is this. Second though, if it's not yes, you know what I think God will say? Yes, but not now. Yes, but not now. Like absolutely, I want to comply with your request. I've got plans to answer that. But I've got some other things, as it turns out, that I'm managing in this big, broad universe of mine. So why don't you just wait a little bit, because I've got some other stuff kind of going on. But when I do bring about the answer to your prayer, it'll actually be more satisfying to you because of how I bring it about to you. And so if the first answer is yes, the second answer is yes, but not now. The third answer I think that God gives is yes, but not that way. Sometimes we have ideas about how God is to bring his goodwill into fruition, and God goes, yeah. Can you trust me with that? That I know better about that than you do. So why don't you just wait a little while? And also, why don't you just keep your eyes open? Because it might be that my answer to your prayer is going to come in a time that you don't expect, in a way that you don't expect, and it's going to surprise and delight you in ways that you never thought possible. Yes, yes, but not now. Yes, but not that way. And finally, no. But there's a caveat. 
I have something better in mind. You keep asking for this thing, but I know that this thing is actually not going to do you all that much good. I'm going to give you something so much better. Think about what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3. He says that God is the one to him who is able to do, some of you know the scripture by heart, exceedingly, abundantly, and then what? Far beyond all we could ever ask or even imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus now and forevermore. God is a God who answers prayer. Can I get an amen from somebody? Gosh, darn it, I am going long again. Okay, but I'm going to bring this plane in for a landing in just a second here. Second thing I want to say to you that I think that this text teaches us is God, Yahweh is the true God, not just in that he answers prayer, but in that he answers prayer by fire. And that is not an insignificant detail in the text. Back to verse 36 here. The text says, At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today But you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and have done all these things at your command. Verse 37, answer me, Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell. I love this. It didn't just burn up the sacrifice, but it burned up the wood, the stones. That's a hot fire. And the soil, and it also licked up all of the water in the trench. And the result of that, verse 39, is that when the people saw this, they fell prostrate on the ground and they cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Yahweh doesn't just answer the prayer, He answers the prayer by, by fire. And I got to thinking this week as I was studying this text when else in the text of Scripture does the Lord answer prayer by fire? And I thought, Pentecost. All the people gathered together in one place. And what are they doing? Just like Elijah, they're praying. Joining together constantly in prayer. And then they heard the sound as of a mighty rushing wind coming from the heaven. And they looked. And what did they see? Tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And they spoke the word of God. And all of a sudden they spill out into the streets speaking in tongues and speaking the word of God. And a great conversion happens that day. And the church is born. The fire that God answers with is nothing else but the fire of the Holy Spirit. God answers prayer and he answers prayer by fire. Pentecost is the fulfillment of 1 Kings chapter 18. And when the Spirit of God falls upon a group of people, it is the most beautiful thing to see. Do you know this year, just a good report to pass your way, we do baptisms a couple times a year across all the New Life congregations. And do you know that this year today, New Life North and a few other congregations had their baptisms last week. We did ours a few weeks back. Do you know this year today, do you know how many people we have baptized across the New Life Church community? Over 600 over 600. Give God praise for that. All over this place, all over this city, we're seeing people drawn into the knowledge and the love of the Lord because the fire of the Holy Spirit is burning in these houses of worship all over our city. And people are being drawn like moths to the light. They are coming. They are finding the goodness of God and the love of God. And they're having their lives grafted in to the power of the Holy Spirit. And I love that. It's one of those large things. Thanks be to God for that. But you know what I also love? I love the micro stories of how the presence and the fire of divine love, the power of the Spirit is burning 
in our midst. Some of you know, I'm looking over at Jake and Courtney Norman are sitting over here. Some of you know the Normans, their foster parents, and started attending New Life East a few years back. And Courtney gave me their testimony of their time at New Life East this week. And I just wanted to read it to you, and then I'm going to invite us to the table here. She said, my husband and I bought a house across the street from a large empty field a few years back. Shortly after we moved in, construction started, and we learned that it was going to be a school. And simultaneously, we began our journey to become foster parents. And as the walls went up around the school, we were filling out paperwork, going through home visits, and getting fingerprinted for our background checks. And it seemed like no time before the school was completed and filled with children, and so was our home. And we ended up fostering three children under three years old during COVID. We were brand new foster parents with no support. Everything was shut down. We had severe trauma behaviors at home, and we were drowning. We were attending another large church in town. We had been going there for years, a great church, but we didn't have community there. And they also shut down during COVID. And we quickly realized that for us, watching an online service with three little ones at home was next to impossible. We had seen signs in our neighborhood every Sunday for New Life East. We knew that they were meeting at the new school building. And when we heard that they were opening back up after COVID, one of the first that we knew of in our city that was opening and that they were opening children's church, kids ministry, we knew that we were going. At that point, we didn't care what church it was. We needed that hour break and we needed Jesus. Our first service at New Life East was good and we really liked Pastor Andrew's message. Thanks, guys. But we were used to a grand production, smoke and mirrors and rock and roll worship music. We didn't have anywhere else to go, though, so we kept showing up. And it didn't take long until we felt more comfortable at East than we did at our old church. And when most of the other churches started opening back up, we stayed here. We experienced our first child dedication service, and something moved in me. I wanted that for my kids, and I knew that I couldn't actually dedicate them for so many reasons. The simplest reason was that the service is streamed online, and foster children can't be put on social media. But the more complicated reason was that I didn't feel it was morally and ethically correct for me to formally dedicate children who weren't technically mine. So I asked Pastor Andrew and Pastor Colin if we could have a private ceremony to pray over the children and ask God to chase after them the rest of their lives. They agreed, and it was beautiful. Pastor Andrew anointed their heads with oil. There were prayer and prophecies, and the kids left with their new Bibles for once at peace. The pastors and the prayer team also prayed over my husband and I, and that was the moment that I knew New Life East was home. We had finally found our support in our community, and when we received our next foster placement, we did the same private prayer ceremony, and once again, our church family showed up and stepped in, interceding for our children and their biological families. Foster care, she says, is impossibly hard, and I was experiencing secondary trauma due to our children and their stories. And when all of our children left our home to reunify with family, which was always the goal in foster care, we closed our foster license. We weren't sure if we would return. So we mourned and we took in a former foster child and his biological father who needed a safe place to live for a little while. Life got busy. New Life East started its women's ministry. Great job, Becky Harling. I signed up for every single charcuterie and conversation night I could. I met other women who were incredibly supportive. I was starting to share my story. I started therapy. I quit my job. We healed. And then God called us back into it. And now when we receive new foster placements, I contact Pastor Colin to schedule their private prayer ceremonies. And when I walk into church after an incredibly long week filled with trauma behaviors and appointments and meetings and home visits and biological family visits and even more trauma behaviors, people notice me. They pray for me. They ask about my kids, the placement of four boys in the middle of the night. When we receive, oh, they show up, they pray for them. When we received an emergency placement of four boys in the middle of the night who came only with the clothes on their backs, I received bags and boxes and piles of boy clothes, toys, shoes, supplies, and meals from our church community. Things just started, started showing up. It was incredible and overwhelming and holy. And when those boys reunified and then it failed, then they were separated for safety reasons, we took back two of them with nothing but the clothes on their backs. And again, our church community showed up and filled their needs again. She says, I grew up in church, but I didn't know Jesus. I met him later in life. 
New Life East introduced me to his hands and feet, lived out by ordinary people who genuinely care about each other. I couldn't be a foster parent without them, without you. So what does it look like when the fire of God descends upon a sacrifice? I think it looks like you. I think it looks like the hands and feet of Jesus. I think it looks like a community of love that's willing to walk the hard road and do the hard thing to bless and build up and support other people. And when we gather in the house of God for worship like this, we're just asking Jesus to form us again for that, to make us once again that. And we're taking our own, Paul says, offer your own bodies, your lives as living sacrifices. We're not putting a, ba- we're not putting a bull on the altar. We're putting ourselves on the altar. We're saying, here it is, Lord, and here's the wood, and you bring the fire. We've got the sacrifice. And every time the Lord comes with fire, he fills us again. And so with that, New Life East, would you stand? And we remember that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, after he'd given thanks, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take this, all of you, this is my body, it's broken for you. Do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, Drink from this, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the remission of sins. Do it whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, come. Here it is. The bread and the cup. We're laying it on the altar. We're bringing ourselves to the altar. We're bringing the wood. We're bringing the offering. You bring the fire. And we pray that you would consume us again with the love of God, that you are and that you give. The power of the Spirit may it fall upon us. Grant and we pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. I'm going to invite our servers to come forward to serve communion this morning. Communion will be on my right and my left as you come forward up the center aisle here. You'll receive a cracker in your hand. You'll dip it in the juice. And then we're going to have a third person up at the communion stations here this morning with a little vial of oil. We know that oil in the scriptures is a symbol of the Spirit's presence and the Spirit's power. So as you come forward to receive in the bread and the cup, there's also going to be somebody that's going to anoint your head with oil in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And, we'll pray, and they're going to pray over you that you'd be filled again with the freshness and the fire of the Spirit of God. Somebody said to me in the pre-service meeting, how do we know if the, maybe, maybe they don't want the oil? And I say, anybody that comes forward to take the body and the blood surely is okay with the oil. So brothers and sisters, these are the gifts of God. They're given for you, the people of God. Come forward and receive communion. Thank you.
church, sing it. strength you've got, church. Come on. But I sing praises to your name. All over this house, let praise arise. for you every day, New Life East, every single day. And here's what I pray for you. I pray that you would be rooted and planted in Christ Jesus. I pray that for you. And I pray that you would be filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit, that you would live lives that are worthy of the God who calls you into his kingdom and his glory. And today God answered that prayer. He's so faithful. And so I pray over you, people of God. I say, may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and grant you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. Altar ministry team is available to you if you need prayer for anything this morning. We love you. New Life East. Fellowship hour starts in Connect Central over there or in the cafeteria. Go get a coffee, donut. Uh, Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And go Packers. Hallelujah. Amen.